got a story. I've got a story. We've got a story. I'm Brad McEwen, and I'm here to tell that story. This is Beyond the Bank. In this episode, the first of a two-part interview with Doherty County Sheriff Kevin Sproul, the sheriff discusses his journey into law enforcement, his early days on the job, and ultimately his decision to run for sheriff. Welcome, Sheriff. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Now, before we get going, I do want to start off by extending my sincerest thanks to you and your team for all that you do to keep us safe and to take care of us here in Doherty County. Thank you. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff we could talk about today. Probably talk for hours, but I'd like to kind of start things off with getting a little bit of background information on you. Okay. So, you know, how did you find your way into law enforcement? It's an interesting road. It's an unusual road and not one road that many people take. But in 1982, in March of 82, while working for a uh, alcoholic beverage industry here in Darty County, A&A Beverages, I was working for Morris and Ben Adler and his family. Uh, my wife, which was my girlfriend at the time, invited me to go to a revival at her church. And on the last night, the Wednesday night of the revival, I walked the aisle of the church, accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And things began to change. I started viewing life kind of differently. Uh, of course, I started to go to church. And I started praying that... Uh, God could use me wherever he wanted me, I would go. And it was kind of scary, but I was enjoying my job. There was nothing wrong with my job. They treated me well. It was a great industry to work in, but I just wasn't comfortable with my beliefs, my system of beliefs that were changing slowly, you know, being indoctrinated into the word or the gospel and things like that. Sure. And so I started praying for a job and I received a phone call from the Darty County Sheriff's Office to the company I was working for. And they said, we need to see Kevin Sproul. And I remember getting in, it was on a Monday evening. I was getting in from Bainbridge that night on my route. And all I could think about is I was speeding coming home from Bainbridge. <laughs> I didn't know nothing about law enforcement. And I thought, okay, the sheriff of Darty County, Lamar Stewart wants to see me. This is going to be not a good trip to the sheriff's office. So I went down there and sat down with him, with Lamar Stewart, who was a long-serving sheriff of Darty County. And he looked at me and said, uh, young man, tell me about where you're at in life and what's going on. And I looked at him and I'm thinking, what is he talking about? And he said, uh, you know, a couple of years ago in 1979, you tried to come to work here at the Darty County Sheriff's Office and you didn't give a good interview and you had some history of uh, marijuana usage in your background, and we couldn't hire you. So tell me where you're at today. I said, well, I'm with A&A Beverages. And he said, uh, just talk to me. Tell me a whole bunch of things about your life. So I get to talking, and I get to the very end of my conversation. And, and I, I don't know what he's asking. I don't know where he's going with this. And he says, uh, so you don't want to tell me that uh, you're now attending church and you've changed your lifestyle around? And I was perplexed. I looked at him and he said, you know, I'm the sheriff of Darty County, don't you? And I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, I know everything goes on in this county, don't you? And I said, yes, sir. I said, but since you mentioned that, I have been praying about trying to change jobs and do something, you know, God could use me. And he says, well, do you want to go to work for me? I said, uh, yes, I guess. And he says, well, go go home and pray about it. And if this is where you feel God's leading you, uh, you give your 
employer two weeks notice, then you come back and we'll put you to work. This was in August. Wow. So on Wednesday night at 1130 on September the 8th, 1982, I go to work for the Darty County Sheriff's Office as a jailer in the jail. Okay. Now, <laughs> like I told you, it's an unusual story. It is. I didn't grow up in a cop family, a law enforcement family. Uh, I was a pretty good kid growing up. I, the police never chased me. I never arrested me. I stayed out of their way and I respected them. My dad was a United States Marine Corps retiree and you know, he brought us up to respect law enforcement and the military. So, but I never had any interest in that field. That's wild. Uh, yeah. And look 40 years later where I'm at. So now I do want to ask you, you mentioned in there that at one time you had applied there looking for a job. What, what had prompted you to fill out that application in 79? I'm a graduate, 76 graduate from Albany high school in Darty County. Uh, and I bounced around at Albany Tech for a couple of years, worked some part-time jobs, and uh, tried to get tried to make it into the military. But I'd hurt my knee playing football between the eighth and ninth grade. I I was a catcher in baseball. I played football. I, I tweaked my knee, and a friend of mine went and had knee surgery, and they opened his knee wide open. And back then, we didn't have orthoscopic surgery, and so I kind of got scared on that. And my dad said, "You don't have to play if you don't want to," and so I didn't. So I left all that go. And in 79, my mother and dad, uh, we were actually, uh, my dad was managing the Potter's Community Center on Wildfair Road here in sure. Darty County. And he said, son, why don't you go down to the sheriff's office? I know the sheriff down there and maybe you can go to work there. He always wanted me to wear a uniform. And my mother always wanted me in a uniform. So I thought, okay, I'm working on the beer company. I'll go down there and apply. And uh, went down and applied. And I, I guess he had pulled some strings. I don't know. He never told me this. And after I filled out my interview and after I filled out my documentation, I was interviewed and they said, okay, we're going to go around here to this other room. And they took me around to another room and they put me on a polygraph machine. I'd never been on a polygraph <laughs> machine. And one of the first questions out the gate was, uh, uh, have you ever, no, have you recently smoked marijuana? And my head gets to working and I'm thinking recently, I wonder if he means a day, a week, a month, a year. I didn't smoke it all the time, but I tried it. It was the seventies. It was the seventies. So I made the answer. I said, yes, but no. And he, he had to stop the machine. He said, you either have to say yes or no. So I told him no. It told him I was lying. So they finished the polygraph. He says, someone in the sheriff's office will be back in touch with you and let you know about your opportunity to go to work, blah, 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 blah. I drove off. I drove all the way out to the Potter's Community Center that day to go home, walked in the front door of the community center, and I had seen a grown man, a United States retiree Marine grown man with tears in his eyes. And he looked at me and said, son, you never told me. Mm. And I said, what are you talking about, dad? And he said, why did you do drugs? I said, what do you mean? I haven't done drugs. He said, yes. They just called me down there and said, you can't get a job at the sheriff's office now because you failed a polygraph for smoking marijuana. I said, dad only did it a couple of times, but that's beside the point. So four or three years later, somehow the sheriff had heard about my lifestyle change mm -hmm. and he called. I'd been praying. So all I can say it was a God thing. I, I, people say it's coincidence, whatever. I said it was a God thing. So, we'll take that. Yeah. I'm good with it. And that. that's where I'm at today. So, 
All right. All right. Now, now I am interested, Sheriff, you know, you, at this point, you're, you're a young guy. It's about getting a decent job, something you can live on, but also doing something where you feel useful. Sounds to me like you didn't really have much of an idea of what exactly you'd be getting yourself into uh, when you went down and spoke to the sheriff that day. So talk to me a little bit about your first impressions going to work at the jail and kind of entering law enforcement. Well, I didn't really have much of a background about law enforcement, didn't know what to expect. In, in 1982, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have social media, we didn't have all that you see today. So you kind of go, go back in time and put yourself where I was at. I, I, I walk into the jail that night at 11.30. Our shift come on at 11.45. So they introduced me to some other people. They showed me the man who was going to train me. And one of the most bizarre things that ever happened at 12.15 that night, I'd only been there 45 minutes. There was some kind of commotion going on in the back of the jail. There's five of us men there working and one matron, a female, that handled the female inmates. They look at me. They tell one man to stay at the control desk. The other three goes behind a door. They get these burlap sacks, probably 44 feet long, three and a half feet long, and they pull these big stack sticks out, and they wrap the uh, straps around their wrist, and they grab the keys to the cell, and they said a few choice words, and they went to the back, and they told me to follow them. Ooh, well, these three guys got sticks. I don't have nothing. It's my first night on the job. I'm scared to death. So we go to E-Block at the back of our jail, and they open this big panel that has these uh, levers on it and these green and red lights. Mm -hmm. And one of them looked at me, and he said, does that watch that you have on have a second hand? And I had an old Timex watch on, and I looked at it, and I said, yes, I do. He said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to walk back down here, and when we point to you, you open this lever up right here, and I'll never forget it. It was the sixth cell room in E-Block. We're going to go in for 60 seconds. If we're not back, you shut us in here and go get help. <laughs> and I'm now shaking in my boots. And I looked at them and they said, you understand us, 60 seconds. It's very imperative that you understand us. You go get help. So they go back there. They do this and I look at my watch and I hit the lever and I'm waiting. Seconds go by and we're getting close to 50 seconds. And I hear all kind of commotion. It sounded like they were hitting everybody with it, the sticks they had. All of a sudden, they bring three males two African-American and one Caucasian male, they bring them out into the corridor area and they drag them on the floor. They tell me to shut the door. I shut the door. They take them up to what we used to call as a drunk tank. They took them in the drunk tank. One of the guys went in there and I heard them hitting these guys again, these inmates. They said something about, you won't see the sun come up in the morning if we have any more problems out of you. They shut the doors. We walk into the office and I'm almost... In a daze here, I really don't know what I'm viewing or seeing. Sure. So we go in the office, they get some paper tiles, they wipe these sticks off, they put them in these burlap sacks, they stick them behind the door, and the guy that was working the counter turned around and said, now which one of y'all are going to train the rookie tonight? So he turns around and says, I got him. I never saw an incident report. I didn't see anything. The guy gives me a tour of the jail. When I get off at 8 o'clock that morning, I go home and I call my mother. I told my mother this. I said, 
I'm calling Mr. Adler up. I'm going back to work at Paps Blue Ribbon. I don't know who or what this God thing is or what I've gotten myself into, Mom, but let me tell you what I just watched last night. Bless my mother's heart. She's resting in peace now, but she said, Honey, you got to give God a chance. If you don't like what you saw last night, why don't you be the sheriff of Darty County and change it? This is 1982. I've been working eight hours on a ship. <laughs> so fortunately, in the four years that I worked in the Darty County Jail, I saw one similar incident, but not to the magnitude that one was. Okay. But I've used those in working with kids in my character education programs over the years. I've used those scenarios and examples and told them how hard it is to tell on somebody mm-hmm. because I was in that. I could have walked out of there that night or gone to my sheriff the next morning and said, this is what I saw. I think it was grossly wrong, mm-hmm. but I was scared. I didn't say anything. But now fast forward the clock about two and a half, three years later, that's similar incident. Mm-hmm. Myself and another detention officer, another deputy, we wrote this young man up for kicking a man in the mouth and busting his teeth out. And he ended up getting 30 days suspension. Okay. And I use that to show that, you know, you, you got to report what is right. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew, I learned, but that first night I wasn't ready to do anything but quit. <laughs> oh man, I bet you did some serious praying after that. Yeah, <laughs> I sure did. Now, um, talk to me about, you know, not everybody who gets in there gets into law enforcement, stays in law enforcement, and then not everybody's able to persevere and continue to move through the ranks and, and step into leadership roles and ultimately become the sheriff. So talk to me a little bit about how you came to the realization, hey, I can do this and I can be a leader and, and really have an impact here. Well, I, I, I went on and worked in the jail. I listened to my mother. I prayed. I worked in the jail. And with almost a, this was in September of 82. In March of 83, we, I had to go to the police academy. So I went to the academy and graduated at the end of April, came out, and probably in the end of 83, they made me the shift captain of the midnight shift in the jail, which was a big step of responsibility. I had four or five people working under me. So as I was working as a shift captain in the jail on midnights, and I was seeing men and women come to jail that I had graduated from school. I'd played basketball, football, and baseball. I'd ridden bicycles with them. I grew up in the neighborhoods with them, and they're now in my jail. And I start talking to them asking them things like, well, how did you get from living over here and doing this to getting in jail? What happened? And they were sharing their stories with me. So as I was listening to them, learning from the inmates and learning from the staff, I started realizing that, you know, this could be a possibility for a career for me. And uh, I've always been a very attentive listener. I've been an active listener. I, I I, I, I empathize with people. Uh, and, and through all that, it's made me to where I'm at today. And then, then of course, I, I went back to schooling. Uh, this is another way God works in my family, uh, in my life. Sheriff Saba called me into his office, and I want to say it was 93 or 94. may have been before the 94 flood, somewhere right in there. And he says, I need you to go out and pick up this lady, Miss Sarah Oxford, and you need to drive her to Atlanta 
and you're going to be your bodyguard. And don't you let nothing happen to her. You understand. You're going to drive her car and you're going to go to Atlanta. She's going to feed you lunch. She's going to pay you. And I'm trying to put this together in my head. You know, I'm serving civil papers and warrants. I'm chasing bad guys down. I'm working the streets. I'm working the courts. And he calls me into the office. And I knew, you know, my dad taught me, you do what they say. Oh, yeah. So I respected him. I said, yes, sir. So he gave me her phone number. He said, you call her and you, I'm going to tell her you're going to be calling her. So she told me where she lived out by Doublegate. I go and pick her up and I'm nervous as I can be. I didn't have, you know, this is a very wealthy lady. I don't have very nice clothes. I got a couple suits that I own that probably come from Salvation Army or somewhere. I'm not sure where they came from, pennies or somewhere. And I go pick her up and go to Atlanta. And the first place we go is to her seamstress in Atlanta. And we drive through these pretty rough neighborhoods going through Atlanta. And she's telling me where it's at, turn here, turn here. And we get there. And so she introduces me to her seamstress. Her seamstress has got a TV in the living room. She said, just go sit there. There's Cokes in the refrigerator if you want any. I'll be with Miss Sarah for a little while and then I'll be through. So I'm sitting in there. She finishes at 11.30, 12 o'clock. Sarah tells me to take her to this place up by uh, Buckhead, up, up, up in that area. And we go to lunch and then we shop. And then I bring her back home, get her home about six o'clock that evening. And she said, well, what did you think of today? And I said, well, it was interesting. I've never done this before. And she said, would you like to do it again? I said, sure. And she said, would you like to bring your wife along if you, if you want to go bring her along? And I said, yeah, she's welcome. So a few months went by and we did it again. Miss Oxford had found out that I had started attending Albany State College or Albany State University back in 91. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get my classes set up during the week. They were trying to make me take Saturday English classes for four hours or three hours. And Saturday and Sunday was my only days off at the time. And I didn't want to go to school. So she found out I dropped out of school and she, her and her husband, Mr. C.T. Oxford, they called me into her house one night and said, bring your wife and kids. We want to talk to you. So I go over there and uh, a very nice house. And we have a son that's a couple years old and he likes to touch everything. And <laughs> these vases or vases and all these, she said, Oh, just let them run the house. Let them have fun. You know? So Mr. C.T., he's sitting on his, uh, his little, uh, motorized uh, wheelchair at the time, a little cart. And he says, uh, Miss Sarah tells me that you were going to school and you, you dropped out and you couldn't get your classes set up. And I said, that's correct. He said, do you ever think about what you want to do in the future? And I said, well, I'm working at the sheriff's office. He said, no, did you, do you ever think about when Jamil Saber decides he doesn't want to run again, would you like to be the sheriff? And I said, it's funny you said that because uh, my mother told me if I didn't like the way things were back in 1982 to be the sheriff and change it. He says, well, I think a sheriff needs a good education. He says, so here's what Sarah and I are going to do for you. We're going to pay completely 100% of your college if you'll go back to college. I looked at my wife and, you know, we both about started crying. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, we just had our third child and, you know, I was playing travel softball. I was bowling competitively. And uh, Picky and I, my wife, she said, we can make this work. So I graduated in 99 from Darton and in 2002 from LaGrange College, mm -hmm. never paid a penny. Wow. 
And uh, there again, it's it's just the way God's blessed me. And by me praying in 1982 and allowing him to use me, I'm seeing all these things come to fruition now. And, I, and I'm not understanding them, but I'm seeing them come my way, you know. And then uh, in 2005, Jamil had started his last term, his seventh term as sheriff. And toward the end of that year, he called, I was a, I was a captain at the time. He called the majors, colonel, and a couple captains into his office. And he said, let me tell you all something. I'm not running again in 2008 for sheriff. This is my last term. I'm retiring. He said, and there was about seven or eight of us in the room with him. And he said, one of y'all need to get it together and decide if you want to run for sheriff. And if you don't, y'all need to let me know because I'm not going to run again. But he said, I'm going to tell you this. If two or more of y'all run, I'm not endorsing or supporting anybody. I'm only going to do if one of y'all run. So, of course, we leave that meeting. And my supervisor of the courts at the time uh, was Robert Daniels, known as Dino, African-American man, been at the agency longer than me. He was a major. I was a captain. And I went to his office and sat down and I said, you need to be the sheriff and I can help you get elected. I know a lot of school teachers, a lot of kids I've been teaching over the years. And, and with your knowledge and everybody that knows you, you're, you know, well represented in the community. They looked at me and said, no, you're going to be the next sheriff of Darty County and I'm going to help you get elected. I said, no, that's not fair to you. You need to. So we kind of went back and forth and finally he said, just go think about it. He said, you've always told me you wanted to be the sheriff. This is your opportunity. So we waited around. There was a few other individuals in the community. Uh, Bob Borden was a city police assistant chief. He was going to be the next sheriff. And then we had a couple of people in our office that was contemplating on running. And it got to the day to go and uh, announce my candidacy and go down to qualify. And it was myself, Benita Childs, and James Williams two APD lieutenants or captains mm-hmm. at the time and myself. I ran the election in 08, ran uh, without a runoff, won the election, and didn't have opposition again until this past year. So it's been a, it's been a great ride. So I you've been able to kind of focus on the, the actual job versus getting elected or not. That's correct. And I've enjoyed not having to run but every four years. Well, that wraps the first of my two-part interview with Doherty County Sheriff Kevin Sproul. Be sure to tune in next time when we discuss his decision to run for sheriff and some of the many highlights he's experienced during his time in office.